Well, we are very fortunate now to welcome to the show legendary game designer and creator of the iconic title Gears of War and more recently Scrapper, Cliff Blazinski. Cliff, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me, sir. I am ecstatic to have you. I can't say enough how much I've been looking forward to this. Uh, I have a bevy of questions for you across any number of topics from the earliest games of, of Palace of Deceit game design through to your more recent endeavors in the comic book business. Uh, but after reading Control Freak, reading the book. Um, Thank I've, you for the support. Absolutely. I've been deep diving into your life and I feel I have you at a disadvantage uh, in, in some ways. But I'd like to instead start uh, by the idea that your name for some is synonymous with Jazz Jackrabbit or Unreal. For others, it's Gears of War and more recently, maybe Scrapper or Town. But I'm curious, Cliff. Which which do you feel best suits you now? Um, I believe uh, in order on my social media accounts, what I do is I remind people of my past as I try and like kind of slingshot into my future and what's going on now. Right. Like, you know, that's one thing I, you know, John Romero, the legendary game designer of Doom and Quake was responsible for because what he did was kind of he he just engaged with the Doom community. But also, he's still making his other other video games, and then they're like, "If you like Doom, you might like John's John's new stuff, right?" Mm-hmm. And so that's the thing is, you know, like uh, Jazz Jackrabbit one and two are available on GOG.com, so I still get royalties off that occasionally. So I'll just plug that on my Twitter. I'm not calling it X because Elon Musk is a douche. <laughs> and uh, the thing is, is uh, that I'm like, oh, by the way, you know, the, the, here's these musicals that I'm involved with. But mm-hmm. I think at the end of the day, you know, John Romero's memoir that I've read recently is called uh, Doom Guy. You know, John will be forever, you know, attached to Doom. And I've, mm-hmm. I've come to the conclusion that I will be forever attached to Gears. And like, you know, Leonard Nimoy wrote two books. The first one said, I am not Spock. And the second one, he finally embraced it and said, I am Spock, because that is the role that he's best known for. He's done a bunch of other things. He was in the TV show Fringe, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has done voiceover work. But, you know, when you, you're at that moment in history where something hits so big, and people are getting tattoos of it on their body, you know, you'll be associated with it. And, you know, I'm, I've become comfortable with that over the years. It's it's interesting in, in reading Control Freak and in looking back at your career, there was a time where Cliffy B in your life was not a name that you wanted. And then it was a name you took control of. Uh, and then there was Clifford, not Cliffy B, not Cliff. Um, what do you go by now? Like, what's your jam now? Uh, I, I go by Clifford um, because I'm, I'm about to turn 49 for Christ's sake. Um, and I, I, st- I still think I look relatively young because I'm moisturized. I learned, <laughs> I learned that from my black friends. Got to get that co- cocoa butter up in there. <laughs> and uh, the thing is, I, I do karaoke like uh, at least once a week. And I'm a decent rapper, you know, when I, I go up there and do like 90s hip hop. But mm-hmm. it's the funniest thing to see this like, you know, scrawny ass white guy go up there and let's give it up for Clifford. And then I'm just mm-hmm. like, you know. This is a jam for all the fellas. Try to do what those ladies tell us. Get shut down because you're overzealous. Play hard to get females. Get jealous. And they're like, what the hell is going on right now? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's one of those things, uh, you know, aging. You know, it's important to age gracefully, you know. And there is ageism in the video game industry. And um, I'm still doing some consulting, by the way, side note, in the video game industry. But the thing is, is you know, you saw the success of uh, the new Pokemon-like game. I can't remember the name. Power World. Yeah, Pal World, um, you know, which has a ton of Pokemon-like elements and aesthetics to it, um, you know, mixed with Ark and things like that. But I, I learned today that the developers are getting death threats from Pokemon fans. And mm-hmm. I'm like, you know what? I, I made 
enough money in video games that I'll be over here, you know, in the comic book world and and in the Broadway world. And apparently I'm going to be entering the stand up comedy world at some point soon. Entering the stand up comedy world is some is that a hobby that that kind of tangentially associated with uh, the karaoke? How'd you come yeah, to well, that? I mean, I have no problem being in front of a crowd, but I mean, this is one of my recent tattoos is comedy and tragedy, if you can see it. I can. I mean, I've done keynotes. I've done lectures. I, I do karaoke. I'll walk into a karaoke bar, and if it's empty, I'm like, darn it. Uh, but then if my uh, I walk in and it's packed, my wife's like, oh, my goodness, because she's, she's an introvert, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm the extrovert. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm like, sweet, challenge accepted. And then you know you, you got to read the crowd and figure out like you know what song to sing and things like that and inevitably it always winds up with Mr. Brightside toward the end of the night which gets the people going especially mm-hmm. the white girls from the suburbs. But the thing is, is uh, stand up comedy is an art form, and mm-hmm. uh, I go to uh, Good Nights. You remember uh, Charlie Good Nights? Charlie Good Nights. Yeah, it's now just Good Nights. They moved to the Village District. It used to be Cameron Village, but they changed it because the mm-hmm. person who like it was named after own slaves who I don't think anybody really knew or cared, but mm-hmm. fine, whatever. And then, uh, you know, I'll go about once a week to, to, and uh, there's this local com- comedian named Brian, who I kind of got to know at the bar. Uh, he, he kind of hosts and opens for a lot of the, the, the other talent as well. He's a really funny guy. And I told him that, you know, like after I had a drink, I was like, I kind of want to try this one day. And he's like, okay. So he, he got my wife's number and then he got my number. And so now on uh, August 7th, I'll be doing this comedy game show and doing a five minute set, which is mostly going to be about butts. <laughs> Congratulations, man. That's that's fantastic. I uh, I frequent and I frequently enjoy stand up comedy. So maybe I'll get a ticket because I would well, actually you, love to watch that. You remember Jimmy Valvano, right? The name is familiar. He was the college football uh, uh, coach that died of cancer years ago. Mm-hmm. And he did this. Uh, they have the Jimmy V Foundation and everything like that for cancer research and things like that. He did this uh, speech at the ESPYs, uh, he where he got the Arthur Ashe Award. And he says, if you do three things every day, laugh, think, cry, do that seven days a week, you're living a good life. And that's mm-hmm. been my mantra. You know, I'd love to watch something that brings me to tears. I love to, you know, study a new industry and I love to just laugh, you know, mm-hmm. and I, maybe that's why i still look relatively young for being nearly 50. I don't know. I, I would think so. But I also think, uh, at least in, in learning so much about you that you have enjoyed the spotlight and been in a spotlight, both good and bad. If I remember correctly, palace of deceit and, uh, whatnot, you once used it to try and impress girls and then, all the way through to becoming Hollywood for during the Unreal and Gears days and then stepping back away towards Clifford. It seems to me that the spotlight suits you. It's a matter of where you are in that spotlight at various points in your life. I, I mean, I've uh, deliberately been polarizing through my mm-hmm. entire career, you know, um, and I, I would like to believe the vast majority of the people that have played or enjoyed my work or seen the musicals that I've pr- produced and, and, and read Scrapper, you know, think positively of me mm-hmm. but you know i i've lived a good life i've worked for it but you know i have a wonderful amazing caring beautiful wife uh you know i live in a big dumb house where everything breaks all the time and the thing is i remember being a, a petulant teenager and seeing images of the id software guys in wired magazine with their mansions and their ferraris and i, I was just like oh screw you guys you know who do you think you are you know and like and now you have that on the internet and inevitably, when I haven't had a troll in a while on my Twitter, again, not X, uh, somebody shows up and I'm like, oh, here we go. It's like I can smell it. 
Mm-hmm. And it's like, sometimes you have to make an example of them. Like, you know, I know, I know, I know Ice-T, right? The, the, the mm-hmm. legendary rapper slash actor. Um, and slash, Gears 3 character. Yeah. Yeah. What's up? It's MC Ice-T. Look at the ass <laughs> on Coco, right? Um, and the thing is, is, uh, you know, he's a self-made man. You know, he did the gangster life. Then he did the gangster rap. Then he made body counts. Then he wound up becoming an actor. He was in so many different movies. And he's, he's, a, he's a living legend. And I can, like, text him, you know? And it's mm-hmm. like... The, 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 you remember the anecdote in the book at the Microsoft party where Coco's, uh, you know, booby mm-hmm. falls out and uh, my wife's like a Coco um, and she's like, it happens all the time, sweetie. And so I had to email that anecdote to Ice-T and get his approval for it from Simon & Schuster's legal department. Mm-hmm. And they hit, I, I sent me back in like five minutes because he was probably in New York in the set of Law & Order. He's like, absolutely. <laughs> so I, I got approval for that one. But it's it's been an interesting journey. Um, but the thing is, is, you know, being a, a, a somewhat public persona, you know, I, I, I sat down at, a, uh, my wife and I eat out almost every day. Right. And so the other day I sat down at the bar because I like eating at the bar. It's just, you have the nice, you know, conversation with the bartender and I could, I could feel this guy like recognized me and I sat next to him and then he did the whole, like, are you Cliffy B? And mm-hmm. my, my usual response to that is I used to be. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so he and I just, you know, chatted for a whole, a whole bunch. And then, uh, I, you know, told him stories and things like that. And then I bought him a beer and, uh, you know, he's like, wow, man, thanks. I'm like, dude, you helped buy my house. So that's <laughs> the least I could do is repay the favor. I, uh, I, I was fascinated by your relationship with money as you dealt with fame for anyone that doesn't know you were making games out of high school. And very early on, Epic Games uh, moved to work with them, and that adjusted your lifestyle as you moved across uh, the country, you moved all over the place, uh, and money seemed to matter differently depending on where you were at your in your life, and I felt that was symbolic of the, the art you were making at the time where you were living it. You often said uh, in, in multiple interviews that, that your pain helped inform some of the art you were creating. Well, I mean, that's the thing is, you know, the, uh, the thing is, um, all right, I'm going to tell this anecdote. Um, I'm, I was never that much into Dr. Who, mm-hmm. but, um, I'm friends with Karen Gillan, you know, uh, Nebula from Guardians of the Galaxy, yeah, Jumanji, yeah. et cetera. And she basically, there's a scene where her and the doctor use the TARDIS and they bring Vincent van Gogh, the famous uh, artist to the museum de d'Orsay, right. Mm-hmm. In, in Paris. And he, cause he wasn't really recognized for his genius throughout his life he was very tortured right Mm -hmm. and he barely he struggled to sell a single painting and then you know bill nye not the science guy the british actor Mm -hmm. uh the the doctor goes up to him and asks him like uh so what do you think of vincent's like in his work and vincent's looking around the gallery and seeing all these people taking photos of his work and being amazed by it and he's like Mm -hmm. he was one of the greatest of all time if not the greatest and a wonderful great man and vincent is hearing this and he breaks down in tears and then uh, the doctor comforts him and he goes, no, they're tears of joy. And I watched that scene about once a week because as a creative, you just want to know that you've affected people in some way. But mm-hmm. if the money can hit, money is good. Money never mattered to me more than during the fall of my first marriage. Mm-hmm. And so then I used that that sadness and that anger to work my butt off and make the first gears and then you know bounce back from my ex-wife taking all of my Unreal and Unreal tournament money. Mm-hmm. And so that's the thing is, you know, money rules the world, sadly. Um, the thing is make enough 
to the point where you're comfortable and you can live in a comfortable lifestyle, but don't get too greedy. You know, mm-hmm. you don't want to be Jeff Bezos having a bridge in the Netherlands move for your 800 foot yacht. You know, it's just, and ironically, I'm reading the book about Amazon right now. So mm-hmm. the, uh, that pain that, that you mentioned, uh, there are so many moments in gears of war that I think stood out to me deeply, uh, as being just very emotional. They coincided with happiness in my life, sadness, loss. Uh, I think there were some that were just full of joy. Uh, at just seeing what what technology could create and then moments with the characters. Um, I was uh, sneaking to a student that I was going to get a chance to talk to you. Hi, Ethan. And he lit Hi, up Ethan. because there you go. He uh, he played the game with his dad when he was young. And it reminded me of how much of an impact and how essential your father was in kind of crafting who you are and his passing. And I wonder if you might speak a little bit on that and how it informed your work. I believe um, one of my words of advice or phrases of advice to developers uh, or any creative is when, whenever possible, make it as personal as you can. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the thing is, Rod Ferguson, who is the producer on the franchise, Lee Perry, who is my my design cohort, the unsung hero of the Gears franchise. Um, he's the one who suggested cover in the first place to me. Uh, we all lost our fathers at an early age. And so the idea that Adam Phoenix, Mark, Marcus thought he saw him die. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, at, at, at his home at East Barricade Academy. And then when, you know, he eventually winds up at Azura and realizes his dad was trying to, you know, formulate a solution to get rid of the lamp and, and, and knock out all the locusts. And then he's, he, he, he was activating, uh, he was experimenting on himself with the same stuff, uh, just like the Curies were with radiation. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, for him to see his father die twice, I mean, that was, you know, twisting the knife, which he got to do a few moments later to Queen Mira. Uh, and that was the thing. It's like, um, you know, Dom's sacrifice, you know, Dom finding Maria and Dom having to put down his own wife who's been in a vegetative state. That was uh, my personal statement on, you know, if somebody's brain dead like that, you know, you, you got to pull the plug. You just let it go. You know, mm-hmm. it was inspired by the, the famous case of Terry Shiva, which you, right. you, you, you guys all have Google. And so... The thing is, is, you know, at the time when Gears came out, people were like, it's just a bro shooter. It's just blah, 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 blah. And then once in a while after I have a mimosa, I'll go to YouTube and I'll occasionally look up like the Dom and Maria scene, mm-hmm. you know, Dom's sacrifice, you know, the, the ending. And I just I feel like validated after all these years because uh, all the comments are like, I had to put down the controller after this moment. Uh, you know, no, is somebody cutting onions in here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, I made the decision. I walked, I burst into Rod Ferguson's office one day when we, you know, we, first off, I decided to kill Dom after uh, an impromptu flash mob meet up at GameStop in uh, New York City. And some guy's like, uh, he's like, what, what? I'm like, what do you think is going to happen in Gears 3? He's like, Dom's going to die. I'm like, why? He's like, stuff's got to happen. I'm like, stuff does have to happen. Mm-hmm. I'm sitting there at Flying Biscuit in the village district with Lauren. And I'm like, I have to kill Dom. She's like, what? And then I go talk to talk to Rod, talk to Karen uh, Karen Travis, who wrote Gears uh, three yeah. books, and uh, she's like, he he can't go out in vain. He has to do something to sacrifice and save the team. And I burst into Rod's uh, office. I was like, Rob, we need to play Mad World during that scene. Mm-hmm. And Rod's like, there's no way we can afford that. Gary Jules is probably going to cost too much. And I'm like, no, we don't need the Gary Jules version. We just need the instrumental from the original rights holders from Tears for Tears for Fears, I believe it was. Uh, lo and behold, we got it. And, uh, you know, the second Dom, you know, spins around and, you know, takes the, the gas truck and plows into the, the, the crowd of enemies and the, the, those cords kick in, you know, it's mm-hmm. just 
it's goosebumps. And that's, you know, the, the best part about being creative is when you get that eureka moment. And I hate to pivot too much to Scrapper, but please, you know, Scrapper came out of my dog comic book about a dog superhero, came out of the loss of my Australian Shepherd. Uh, that's the shrine to him right behind me in his ashes. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was my divorce dog, my Gears 1 dog. You know, he made it to 13. He couldn't walk anymore. He became incontinent. And I realized, you know, I'm, I'm hanging on to him for me. He's just, it's, t- it's time to let go. Mm-hmm. And then as, after the year of spontaneous crying stopped, uh, my wife introduced me to this Pomsky that she found online. Just mm-hmm. this beautiful little dog. And, uh, she, you know, we named her Lady after uh, uh, Sansa Stark's dire wolf. And we scooped her up after coming back from the final season premiere of Game of Thrones in New York City mm-hmm. uh, at Radio City. And then partied with the, the cast until four in the morning in their hotel suite. And then scooped up this little mini dire wolf. And uh, it's been love at first sight ever since. And uh, I'm, I, I was just looking at her one day. I was like, has there really ever been a badass dog superhero? Like, mm-hmm. like you had Underdog, you had Bolt, you mm-hmm. had Crypto. But like, my question is, what's going to happen? to the kids who love Paw Patrol and they get a little bit older, mm-hmm. you know, i.e. middle schoolers. Mm-hmm. Is there room for something a little bit more mature where what if Batman was a dog, mm-hmm. right? And in a city that's a statement about the over-militarization of police, gentrification, abandoned animals in an urban setting, all of that. And uh, that's kind of the genesis of that. And, and then keeping in my theme of like, let's figure out how to infiltrate another industry. I'm like, let's figure out the comic book industry. Mm-hmm. And so I partnered with Alex DeCampi and here we are. And, uh, you know, I had a, a meeting with a major uh, streaming service recently to possibly adapt it to an animated series. That's so cool to hear. And it's funny to hear you talk about the idea of bringing a childhood thought forward or, or the idea of, of for Scrapper for it to be what would happen if, if Batman was a dog, right? Or, or taking that, that arc further. And it feels to me like you're looking at modern sensibilities applied to that character. How would, how would that dog handle it? That reminds you're- me of how you did Emulsion. Yeah, well, emulsion was a thinly veiled metaphor for the Bush administration's war on oil. Right. And, and people are like, and then people didn't realize Sarah was Aries spelt backwards, which yeah. is the god of war. I'm like, okay, but I'm like, I think you can be political with your content, but if you, you are pandering or mm-hmm. too on the nose, people can smell it these days. You know, mm-hmm. Bioshock was about the, the writings of Ayn Rand, Rand. right? Mm-hmm. And like, that's the thing is, you know, you, you can do it. You know, it's the same thing with like, you know, being too on the nose with the girl power stuff, mm-hmm. right? Like, there's a scene in one of the uh, the Marvel movies. I can't remember which one it was. It was one of the Avengers ones, I think. Endgame. Yeah, it was Endgame. They just had every like, the four the four girl superheroes like girl power, and, and mm-hmm. even the women are like, oh god. But then you look at the scene of the boys, where the superhero girls kick the crap out of uh, what's her face um, Stormfront, mm-hmm. right? Like that's the way to do it, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's the thing about you know. Scrapper does have somewhat political themes because, you know, I saw what was going on in Raleigh, even, you know, the gentrification. You have all these old, lovely buildings that are being torn down and these outside developers are building these like six story generic buildings Mm -hmm. that, you know, and that are apartments that are cost way too much for rent. Uh, And then at least they're mixed use. Right. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, see police, you know, videos, you know, uh, I love watching uh, dash cam videos and body cam videos of cops on YouTube. Right. Because the thing, my hypothesis is for there's a lot of great cops out there with the patience of Job, as they say, but there's also the share of the bad ones. Mm-hmm. And I've seen, uh, you know, I've seen enough videos of cops talking people down with their with the body cam on, but I've also seen enough videos of cops shooting unarmed 
black kids in the back. And mm-hmm. so, you know, to, to and the, the rise of potential fascism in America and now Germany, uh, you know, to ha- create something about a fascist state, mm-hmm. uh, but to have a dog lead these abandoned urban animals to potentially cause a revolution was something that just resonated with me. And it's two to three years in the making. And uh, the hardback trade comes out uh, April 23rd. And since he said you teach middle school, that is exactly my target demographic. That's so cool to hear. And I, I'm looking forward to it because I do keep graphic novels in my classroom uh, from from multiple different genres and, and characters and heroes. Um, I'm curious because Gears had its own comic line. How much did that prep you working with Josh Ortega and seeing how art is created all the way through to creating Scrapper? Did that inform your decisions in any way? Not really, because um, the same thing with the Gears books. Fun fact is I never actually read any of the Gears books. Jacinto's Remnant's so good, Cliff. I know, I know. But the thing is, is I was too busy working on the games. Fair. Remember, I was doing double duty. I wasn't just working on the games. I had to be the face of the company. Mm. So if I wasn't playing the builds or or writing up design documents, I was doing on-camera interviews. I was doing five European cities in five days Mm -hmm. in order to promote it. I was at E3. I I was at GDC. I was at the DICE conference. I mean, you know, the whole wake up and not re- remember what city you're in. And mm-hmm. so it, it was starting from, you know, ground zero. And my, my partner, Alex DeCampi, um, she did a book uh, called Maddie with uh, Duncan Jones. She's done multiple books, many books. Um, she's this badass woman who lives in Hell's Kitchen in New York City. She's so smart and so cerebral. And the thing is, is uh, Duncan Jones, who she partnered with the book uh, Maddie on, mm-hmm. he, uh, he directed Source Code Moon and the World of Warcraft film. And he's mm-hmm. actually David Bowie's son of all things. Mm. Yeah, small world. And he and I are Twitter buddies. We talk fairly often. And she was, again, my Sherpa for the comic book world, learning learning about, you know, pencils, framing, inks, scripts, coloring. And, and you know, I type up the overall arc of where I want things to go. And her and I would go back and forth. And then she would type up the actual scripts. Mm-hmm. Then we pass it off to, you know, the, 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 the people who do the paneling, the, the penciling, the inks, uh, and then, you know, the whole language of comics where, you know, the person says something at the bottom right frame and then boom, you turn the page and then there's a full page splash, and boom, something's happening, right? And then leaving it each issue on a cliffhanger, right? It's it's storytelling 101. It's the hero's journey by Joseph mm-hmm. Campbell. And the thing is, you know, to, to say something to, you know, middle schoolers out there, uh, you know, with, with my 13-year-old niece visiting recently, it's like, that is the toughest part of your life. If you're going through hell, keep going. Because mm-hmm. I got picked on in, in middle school. I had a Coke dumped in my head on the school bus. I had gum put in my hair. They called me Nintendo boy. But keep in mind, the nerds won. You know, superheroes, video games, uh, technology, all of it. It's, mm-hmm. it's such a big part of our lives these days. And, uh, you know, just be yourself, right? It, absolutely. And it's funny, the nerds did win because the people that commented on Scrapper... Uh, Karen Gillan, Seth Green, Gary Witta, who, if anyone doesn't know, Rogue One, Felicia Day, it's just Jim Lee. Like it's, they all had comments on Scrapper that runs the gambit of gambit of nerds. Don't forget, uh, I got Dan Weiss also, who's the showrunner on Game of Thrones. You're right. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, it, it's it's remarkable to me. Uh, you mentioned the hero's journey, and that's something that stuck out to me in in reading and in researching. And I wanted to note because. When I look, see, I take handwritten notes, by the way, because I'm that I'm that old school. I do all my handwritten notes for you, dude. I'm old school, and also like you know, I'm, I'm, with books, I'm, I'm I'm my bookshelf is overflowing, and I, I don't trust anybody that doesn't nice. read. 
Nice. There you go. I even have pizza stuck on one of the pages. Go for it. Nice. Um, but you said hero's journey, and that was a phrase that was used uh, in, in, in a section of your book uh, discussing Marcus Phoenix. And it, I wondered how much it paired to you because in order for you guys to create Marcus to go on that hero's journey, he was a war failure, treason, not actually if you read the books, <clears throat> but you know, he was, he was in prison, destitute, turns out to be the savior of humanity. He had to go from the bottom to get somewhere. Started from the bottom. Now we're here. Now we're here. Uh, your life was ripe with tragedy at certain points, but you went jazz, Jackrabbit, unreal gears of war. And then you stepped away from Epic and you went down a different road. And I'm curious, Scrapper owning the bars, Broadway, is that your hero's redemption or something else? Is that your well, that, hero's journey? It, well, you're leaving out the fact that I had Boss Key Productions. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so sorry, burping up lunch. Um, when I left Epic, and the reason I left Epic was A, I was tired of arguing with programmers, and B, I had enough money to just say F off, right? Mm -hmm. So I took it like a good year, uh, but my agent was hounding me like, dude, you got to get back in the game. So I started mm -hmm. Boss Key Productions, uh, which uh, was in downtown Raleigh, 230 mm -hmm. Fayetteville Street. And uh, it was a really cool office. And I recruited people from you know all sorts of different studios, from Seattle to LA to San Francisco and beyond. And uh, I built a great team of great people. And we uh, you know, it took entirely too long. We made a game called Lawbreakers, which was about defying gravity. And uh, you know, people saw it as an Overwatch clone. And it's like, dude, you, you do know how long it takes to make a game. It turns out you know, people who loved uh, MOBA games, you know, like League of Legends and mm -hmm. Dota, uh, maybe they had the same assumptions that how can we apply that to a first person shooter? Mm -hmm. And so we tried to differentiate ourselves with with a different art style. Uh, you know, we didn't want to appeal to the, you know, the weeb crowd. And uh, the thing is, is ultimately, you know, it cratered because if you're not on the front page of Twitch, you're dead. Mm -hmm. And then we, we scrambled and tried to make a, a battle royale uh, that was a little bit different from Fortnite. Uh, you know, called Radical Heights, and mm -hmm. uh, that that wound up getting hacked a lot, didn't get a lot of traction, and uh, the studio cratered. And that's the thing is, after that, you know, I uh, my dog, that was the dog that I mentioned earlier, uh, he was declining, and so my studio cratered. I had to lay off, you know, about 60, 70 people uh, who had moved their families to Raleigh for me, mm -hmm. right? And I I was heartbroken. They got they got some severance, they got some health care for a couple months. They all have landed in good places. I'm still friends with a lot of them. And that's the thing is, uh, you know, I was, wasn't the best CEO cause I was like too friendly with my employees. Mm -hmm. You know, you kind of have to be a bit of a dick to be a CEO, I believe. Mm -hmm. And, uh, then, uh, you know, uh, once, uh, you know, the dust settled from that, you know, the creativity started flowing again and that's where, you know, scrappers started coming from. And then mm -hmm. I started just getting thirsty of like, okay, what else could I do? I got hit up by a, a Broadway star in my DMS. Uh, who's like, hey, they need new producers. Are you, are you interested? I'm mm -hmm. like, okay, next thing I know, I'm at Radio City Music Hall and watching Town win eight Tonys. And I'm like, wow, okay, this is cool. Next thing I know, I'm producing, you know, the the revival of Frankie and Johnny and the Claire de Lune, which is Terrence McNally's uh, final revival before he died of COVID, uh, legendary playwright. And, uh, you know, that I, seeing my name in the playbill, you know, mm -hmm. that's one of those things which goes back to the fact that I was a drama nerd in high school. Mm -hmm. And and to go full circle is you know they say in Star Wars the circle is complete right, mm -hmm. 
And so then, you know, the restaurant business, I became really good friends with this uh, local Irish uh, restaurant entrepreneur named Niall Hanley. How you doing, lad? Would you like a Jager bomb? And he's like, he taught me a very, very important, valuable lesson. Find emerging markets and ride them up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Raleigh is an emerging market. And he's like, Raleigh needs a beer garden. And I'm like, you know what it does? We shook hands 50-50. Uh, a few years later, and it's it's in the black, and I'm doing karaoke Monday nights there, mm-hmm. and it's uh it's one of those things that you know there's so much overlap between how businesses work and you know how how creative you look at a musical, it's a miracle you know you look at the choreography, you look at the costuming, you look at the lighting, you look at the music, you look at just ticket sales, like all of it. It's it's very similar in some ways to video games, and just mm-hmm. I encourage everyone who has kids to get them involved in the arts. I, I appreciate sports. I'm a Saints guy through marriage, you know, who dat. Um, <laughs> but the thing is, is, you know, if you get your kids involved in drama, it teaches them how to be on stage, how to memorize lines, how to work with misfits because mm-hmm. the drama kids are usually, you know, kind of dirty, but mm-hmm. they still, you know, get the stones to stand in front of a crowd. And uh, that's, that's my thing. That's why I was really good at what I would do doing interviews and keynotes and things mm-hmm. like that when I was at Epic, because I have no problem being in front of a crowd, as I said at the, at the top of the hour. The I'm thinking about what you said, like you were close to your staff, thus not a great CEO. And I wonder if that would still be true now, because Cliffy B, Clifford, Cliff in 2024 strikes me as a very different man than I saw playing Gears one on stage, Gears two on stage, uh, hearing the anecdote even about Rod Ferguson shifting, shifting, you had a spiral, a circle rather of like plans for Gears and he came and made him a straight line. Uh, that's an anecdote from Control Freak. But I wonder if all those lessons that you've learned from different emerging markets from from Broadway to Scrapper now might change the way you approach leadership in in any CEO role, gaming or otherwise. I have no desire to be a CEO ever again ever yeah no um i got you know i knew my employees uh spouses i i I interacted with their kids and their dogs Mm -hmm. you know i had i had them over to my house uh for crawfish boils Mm -hmm. um i even you know occasionally took them on a private jet to go to like packs and things like that Mm -hmm. um i i took good care of them and uh you know i i it's one of those things you know like i care too much you Mm -hmm. know i'm an i'm an empath you know, mm-hmm. and you look at like the way politics are these days and it feels like, you know, with certain pol- politicians is that cruelty is the key. Mm-hmm. And I like to read books of demographics that aren't necessarily me. You know, um, you know, I read The New Jim Crow. Um, I read Contested Waters, which explains why a lot of African-Americans uh, don't like to swim. Mm-hmm. Uh, I read uh, Lindsay West's uh, Shrill. Uh, you know, I read um, God, The Feminine Mystique. Uh, which is the the kind of you know feminist Bible that came out years ago by Betty Friedan, and that's the thing is like I think you know understanding people that aren't necessarily the same as you is really an, an important life lesson, mm-hmm. and it bu- it builds empathy. And mm-hmm. my problem is you know I have empathy sometimes to a fault, mm-hmm. and uh, but the thing is is again read, just mm-hmm. read. Does that if if CEO wouldn't be the role? Uh, what about teammate? I suppose being on a team creating again, or, or does producer just seem to be where you're at? Well, uh, so the thing is a scrapper is surgically designed that, to be a video game. Like, you know, video games, really? as you know, they're designed often by like 
what is your what verbs can you do can you run can you jump can you slide can you duck can you shoot etc mm -hmm. right um that's the core loop of what many many video games are and scrapper has a lot of these abilities and mm -hmm. so i could absolutely see scrapper as a video game do i want to be the ceo no again uh mm -hmm. do i want to be the main guy not necessarily mm -hmm. but i want to have a heavy heavy involvement in it and one of the big things i do miss about video game development is getting a new build of the game and seeing what's new and what's different and just getting my hand my grubby little hands on it and mm -hmm. then sitting there with my notepad and just you know writing down notes you know mm -hmm. typing them up and seeing you know what what i can actually influence and change in the game the other thing that i had missed was typing up a description okay here's this you know arctic uh base and the blah blah, blah 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 right and then you know sending it over to a concept artist mm -hmm. and then two days later getting the image on my phone when i'm sitting at dinner with my wife and be like oh my god look at that look at how cool that looks right mm -hmm. uh that that or character design or even working with a writer you know um the thing about scrapper now that it's out in the wild is you know the idea is these you know scrapper is a dog of war that was you know built to fight mm -hmm. uh in a lab right and the thing was this but he's not the model one the model one was the cats Mm -hmm. The cats were built to be spies and assassins, mm -hmm. but then the cats were, would obey orders. <laughs> Duh. So then the cats were like, screw you guys. We're going to go in hiding. So in issue one, it's like, yeah, all the cats vanished years ago. Like, I don't know where they went. Mm -hmm. And then eventually the cats, you know, Scrapper unites the cats to combat the forces of the totalitarian regime. Mm -hmm. um, and that idea actually came from uh, Max Landis. Uh, who's, name is familiar. Uh, yeah, he wrote uh, a bunch of movies. Uh, he's John Lannis's son. John Lannis did the Twilight Zone movie. He did John Lannis did Animal House. Uh, Max Lannis. Uh, he's 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 a controversial kind of figure um, because American Ultra. You know, I see. Yes. Yeah, he's got a pretty good resume. Um, but the thing is, is he uh, he's had some up and downs in regards to his public figure. Um, mm -hmm. But the thing is, I had a Zoom with him and I was I was pitching a scrapper to him. He's like, "Well, where are the cats?" And mm -hmm. I was like, and he gave me the idea for it. And that's the thing is, you know, like as the kids say, it's good to have a collab. You know, mm -hmm. I, my uh, former agent, uh, Larry Shapiro, which is the most agent name ever. Um, I caught up with him recently and uh, he's been introducing me to like the he basically represents digital celebrities. Right. Mm -hmm. Go where the market's going, not where the market is. Again, you know, rise, you know, emerging markets. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's introduced us to I think it's cast and mayor, the dancers that are famous on the online. Uh, the Holderness family, uh, again, from Raleigh. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah. they're, they're all really, really cool people. And so I was like, Larry, do me a solid. Uh, just give my wife 20 minutes of advice, you know, on a Zoom call. Mm -hmm. And one of the number one things he said to her, if you, get, you know, because she's doing the Twitch thing right now, right? Mm -hmm. She's actually twitching right now. Mm -hmm. uh, L337 Lauren on Twitch.tv. Um, and the thing is, is like, he's like, you know, collab you know, find people you can like co-stream with or, mm -hmm. you know, uh, you know, Felicia Day has like a, tons of followers and she's a good friend of ours. Like that's like, see, you know, draft off of each other in a good way. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing on the online community. Sometimes there's people who just believe it's crabs in a bucket and, you know, they, they're trying to climb out and they just all wind up back in the bucket. And, you know, I'm friends with Jess Negri also, the famous uh, uh, mm -hmm. cosplayer, right? Yeah. Uh, she's, she's so hilarious. Um, the thing about her is, she she plugs other cosplayers who are up and coming nonstop, mm -hmm. and that's the thing is when I opened the Raleigh Beer Garden with Niall, Glenwood South, you know our party district, uh, the first few weeks like surge like every everything was surging, and you know rising tide raises all boats right, mm -hmm. and that's one good thing to keep in mind and you know be empathetic, be positive, and you know don't try and tear people down. There's too much of that stuff online, you know.
Absolutely. Absolutely. That, uh, that is too often seen amongst content creators, amongst creators of any kind in any art. Uh, so it's a good point to make. I think about some of the things you said about, about Scrapper being a video game and how it lends itself there. Uh, you have Nemesis, you have uh, collabs. When I think back to what it was that you created, from what I'm gathering, headshots in the multi-kill system was you. Double kill was you. Uh, active reload, curb stomping was you. And creating basically the Unreal Engine was the team that that you were very closely entwined with in the face of um, as it got to Unreal Engine 3 with Gears. My question is, in 2024, how, how disparate, how far apart is Unreal Engine 5 from 3? Could you get back in the game to make a scrapper game or work with on that? Is, that, is it that far apart? I don't know. I'm asking out of ignorance. My, my problem now is uh, I have a PS5 upstairs that I haven't touched. Mm-hmm. Right. My thing is like I look at having had, excuse me, Boss Key Studios, right? Mm-hmm. And seeing the numbers, you know, negotiating salaries for people, uh, knowing that they have to feed their family and things like that, you know, knowing how much it costs to make a triple A game. Like I, I saw, I saw footage of a spider, the new Spider Man, right? Mm-hmm. There's a viral video where the guy's trying to stop the train using his webs, just like in the movies, right? Mm-hmm. Spoiler, he couldn't. <laughs> um, but the thing is, I look at how good that game looks. I look at the frame rate. I look at how, how amazing New York City, the draw distance, how great Spidey's animations are. And all mm-hmm. I see is dollar signs on the screen. Mm-hmm. And so that's why, you know, when it comes down to it, um, if Scrapper were to become a video game, uh, I would say, you know, we would do something that looks cel-shaded. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would look great. But the thing is, is, you know, I'm good friends with Randy Pitchford from Gearbox, mm-hmm. and he saw how good Rage, the, the post-apocalyptic game, looked back in the day compared to how Borderlands was looking. Mm-hmm. And Bo- Borderlands wasn't sticking out. The graphics didn't look that good. Mm-hmm. And then Randy and his team decided they were going to pivot. They were going to go with this kind of stylized, cel-shaded look. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing, is unless you want to spend hundreds of millions of dollars these days, because gamers expect a huge feature set, mm-hmm. they expect so much, and it, the numbers just don't add up at some point. That's why we're seeing games as service. That's mm-hmm. why we're seeing, you know, uh, you know, uh, seasons. Uh, you know, and, and Phil Spencer realized that he's like, okay, how can, how can we become the Netflix of video games with Game Pass, mm-hmm. right? So Scrapper would be, very much be kind of a a Don Bluth cell shaded stylized kind of game where it, mm-hmm. you know it, it it doesn't look low poly, but it doesn't necessarily want to look photorealistic. You know, you want to feel like you're playing a cartoon. Mm-hmm. And so I'm trying to play 4D chess with this IP. Whereas, you know, the comic book starts first, uh, hopefully an animated series, uh, then a video game, and then hopefully a toy line and, you know, see where it goes from there. And, uh, you know, I have other IP that I'm working on as well. And uh, the thing is, is AI is very controversial these days, especially mm-hmm. AI art. Um, there is a rumor that uh, that Pokemon-like game. Power World? Name. I hate the name. It's, it's very strange, Pal World. Yeah, very odd. It, just, it sounds like you're mumbling in Pal World, you know, like <laughs> like like you're having a stroke, Pal mm-hmm. World, right? But hey, they're crushing it, five million copies in like six days. Yeah, um, good for them. Um, but the thing is, is there was a rumor that you know their their Pokemon like characters were created with AI and things like that. Um, whereas people are actually trying to prove online that they just basically copied some of the source models from Pokemon and modified them very slightly. And, you know, That's going to be me- a legal issue to watch. I would not mess with the Nintendo's legal department, nor would I mess with the Nintendo's legal uh, Nintendo or Disney. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing is, is uh, I don't know. It's it's just one of those things that I would want it to be a stylized game. 
Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, Scrapper doesn't kill people. He just knocks them out because mm -hmm. he's like Batman. You know, he, he, he has a code of a code of ethics, but mm -hmm. he can he can certainly screw up some robots. I'll tell you that. It's interesting to hear you talk about Scrapper this way, because at one point, uh, Gears of War was was in 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 flux with the idea of transmedia being in multiple places. And I look at how frustrating it's been as a Gears fan to watch the movie start stop start stop at least on our end right i don't know yeah, what well, you know. try try being the designer of the franchise <laughs> i can imagine so it's interesting i guess to hear the designer of the franchise want to play 4d chess with his ip but also it makes perfect sense hearing all the other stuff you said well the problem with the gears movie was we had legendary pictures involved we had new line cinema involved mm -hmm. we had us involved it was yeah there's an old joke in hollywood is that our movie's going to be so good because we have 12 screenwriters. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, like if it was just legendary, we could have made it happen. And we were at the, the point where a movie like that, video game movie still hadn't been fully proven. Like now mm -hmm. we have like, you know, the TV series, The Last of Us, which was phenomenal. The Mario movie was great, right? Chris Pratt actually pulled it out, surprisingly. Um, and the thing is, is, uh, you know, Gears people wanted to see the chainsaw. They wanted to see Locust getting cut in half mm -hmm. and that would make it rated R. But there's this like sliding scale at the time in Hollywood where it's like, if blood and gore uh, rated R, not going to make enough money, especially if it's, you're going to have a lot of CG and a big, you know, crazy sets and things like that. Mm -hmm. And so they wanted to make a PG 13 version of it. And I'm like, no, screw you guys, you know, mm -hmm. gears, you know, yes, gears is ultimately about the shotgun. Let's be honest, but the, the, the chainsaw is iconic. Mm -hmm. And it's one of those things that um, it ultimately we wanted. We had two screenwriters. Uh, we had uh, Stu Beatty, who wrote the movie Collateral, the amazing Tom Cruise, Jamie Foxx movie. Yep. And then uh, Chris, I can't remember his name right now. He's one of the writers in Fast and the Furious. Uh, and each one had their own take on it. And eventually the idea was just to make it kind of like a Western, right? Because uh, Marty Bowen, who was my producing partner on it, at the time from Temple Hill Entertainment. Um, he produced Twilight and a whole bunch of other things. Mm -hmm. He recently produced that movie Smile, by the way. Mm. Too many jumps, too many jump scares in my opinion. Um, he was like, okay, let's let's just start small with the first one. Mm -hmm. See how well it does, and then we can go bigger in the second one. And you know, Marcus comes to a, a town and the locusts haven't arrived yet and things like that. And I'm like, maybe, I don't know. And so, you know, I hope you know, there's plans allegedly to make it a, like a Netflix series, I think, or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the Halo Halo series is, is solid. Uh, you know, Last of Us, again, did great. Um, so, you know, I think Hollywood's kind of in that phase where they were with comic book movies, where, you know, they made some crappy comic book movies back in the day, like the old Fantastic Four movies. And then mm -hmm. they finally cracked the code with, you know, Wonder Woman and then, you know, the Avengers and everything like that. Mm -hmm. I do think superhero movies are getting a little bit played out these days, but... Mm -hmm. Uh, that said, I think, you know, Hollywood's kind of turned their Hollywood, especially streaming services have mm -hmm. turned their focus towards, you know, new IP and video games. And so the thing about, you know, hopefully Scrapper, you know, could become something like that. Mm -hmm. I'm a big pop culture junkie. What can I say? I have picked up on that fact. Yeah, I uh, that that begs the question, then, as the Gears guy, the face of Gears, US, but I think in Rod Ferguson, depending on who you talk to, just where they were at, at what point Gears entered their lives. Um you don't get updates on those kind of things or do you, and you can't say, I don't get a damn thing. Yeah. Yeah. I was I've, curious. Said, I've said, uh, you know, almost every day on my Twitter again, not X, mm -hmm. I get somebody saying, come back and fix gears. I'm like, my Phil Spencer has my phone number. Mm -hmm. You know, he follows me on Twitter. 
mm-hmm. you know? So it's one of those things that, you know, if, is that if, a call you take? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was I, the only one that called you when you, when gears got sold. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. Can you talk about that at all? Yeah. I was at my beach condo and, uh, you know, I saw, I saw the news. Actually the, the, the news hadn't hit yet. Mm-hmm. And I get, I'm like, uh, Phil Spencer. Hey Phil, what's up? Phil and I have always been cool. He's a good dude. Mm-hmm. And, uh, He's like, yeah, I just want to let you know, because uh, Epic really, after Rod left, Lee left, I left, they really didn't know what to do with Gears anymore. Mm-hmm. And so they're, and, you know, they're like, uh, with Microsoft, you want to just buy this apparently? And so mm-hmm. then they did. Uh, and then Phil's like, yeah, I just want to let you know, um, you know, we've purchased the uh, Gears IP from Epic. And I thought, you know, it, it would be best if you heard it from me. You know, there's a term that I use, establishing character shot, mm-hmm. you know, where, you know, you can tell the, 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 the character of a person by their actions you know and that's just that that just showed me that phil was a stand-up guy and then i was thinking can i get some money off this <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing is you know i I've, i have plenty of ideas of where the franchise could go i'm not i think four and five are good but i think there's something kind of missing from them i'm not mm-hmm. going to say it to me because that sounds ego driven but there's a little bit of heart that I think is kind of missing. And I said it before on my social, the whole choice at the end of Gears 5, I just think was dumb. You know, you just, you, they painted themselves into a corner narratively. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a, a, a death in a Gears game should count. Mm-hmm. It should matter. It should make people cry. When you, you're the whole choose thing, it's like, well, I just, I, I, I don't know. I The whole choose your own adventure vibe with it. It's just, I feel like it was, a, it was just not cool. It felt a little out of sorts given that, Ty would take his own life, given what we saw happen with Maria, given what happened with Dom. It did feel a little out of sorts. Yeah, um, yeah I'm going to leave it at that because, you know, um, you know, I don't want to you know, make any enemies. But, hey, you know, I would love for nothing more to, you know, have somebody reach out, you know, send me some where they think it's going, send me some design documents, give my two cents, you know, mm-hmm. get a little bit of contracting fee. And, you know, just the PR alone from the Gears community, knowing that I'm actually involved with it again, I think would be really, really huge for the franchise and help revive it a little bit. But I feel like we're in the era of just remasters. It feels like everything is just a remaster, you know, or everyone's trying to go open world, like, you know, the new Halo and all that. Mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, most AAA studios aren't quite sure what they're doing. And then Pal World comes along and it's like, boom, okay, mm-hmm. you, want, you want Pokemon with guns? There you go. But it's kind of like Ark too, and there's building like, mm-hmm. and they, they they pulled it off. My wife's playing it right now. You 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 said remasters. Everybody wants to talk about the Gears remaster collection possibility. Yeah, they want the Mark, the Marcus Phoenix collection, right? Right. Yeah. How do you feel hearing that? What does that mean to you when people want what was old to be new again? My brother says that nostalgia is the most powerful drug ever, mm-hmm. and that's the thing is you know like. When I saw the the new Bumblebee movie, the good one, not Michael Bay, and because uh, Bay Formers, with John Cena, is that the one? Uh, yeah, yeah. Wait, I, I I can't remember, but I just remember you know Optimus Prime shows up in it, right? And like mm-hmm. you know, he's fighting on Cybertron, and it's the Peter Cullen voice, opt, Autobots transform and roll out, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, right. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing is, you know, people you know remember like what they were doing and, and, and experiencing at that time. And then if they could go back and kind of really relive those memories, that that's, that's step three profit. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, it's one of those things that, you know, a, a Marcus Phoenix collection would be cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I did play the remastered gears one, I found there's a couple spots where they forgot to put cover in there. 
and that was I was a stickler for that. I would play the game. I'd be like level designer. There's no cover in this part of the, of the game. Mm-hmm. Like you know, I always wanted to make sure there was cover in every spot. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing is with the with the newest uh, gear stuff. It's like I'm watching my wife play multiplayer online, and uh, the camera's driving me crazy because I used to be a you know stickler for the camera. Mm-hmm. Also, like you know, Marcus or whoever you're playing as should be the bottom left of the screen when you're zoomed in. And I see like Lauren loves playing as Anya because she sees herself in Anya. Mm-hmm. Anya is the entire top left of the screen. I'm like too much. And that, that was part of my job also is, you know, it's like the old uh, uh, children's uh, magazine highlights for kids. Whereas in the back, they had the whole spot, the difference between the two images. Mm-hmm. And I'd go on a press tour and I come back and the blood would just be all screwed up. And I'm like, who, who screwed up the blood? Mm-hmm. And then and like QA didn't notice that. I'm like, that's what, that's why I get paid what I do, you know, like, mm-hmm. so, I mean, I wore multiple hats, you know, when I worked in game development and, uh, I'm surprised I don't have more gray hairs, to be honest. Me too. Uh, but, but good moisturizer, good conditioner, I'm sure is what, what did it right. The, the I get my sleep. I'll tell you that. That's fair. I remember. Oh, uh, I'm curious. Um, the reason a collection would be in my mind stands out is because we got to see in your tenure with gears from one through to three i would say a change in some ways in tone to start with a very horror style tone uh theron guards and the darkness and uh i the remember wretches. yeah yeah the wretches and then in the krill uh pitch black shout out to pitch black um to go through i, I wonder if multiplayer didn't have something to do with it but it felt a bit brighter and more arcade and now at gears five it's much brighter, I think, to show off fidelity. But that horror tone and hearing those chimes as you hit a checkpoint each time, it felt very, I felt very different hearing those and playing those than I did. Well, by I, I have firsthand knowledge that uh, that's one of the things that Phil Spencer said to Rod Ferguson is they wanted to get more of the horror stuff back into it. And really? That, yeah. Um, and that's the thing is um, part of the problem was, you know, with Gears 2, I was my marching orders were like, let's go full Michael Bay. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it was a battle and now it's all out war. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, the thing is, Gears was always pitched as Resident Evil meets Killswitch. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's the thing is, you know, I, I think getting that horror aspect in the game, I would love to see a Gears game where you alternate between a, a, a gear around Emergence Day, like when in the, the initial chaos mm-hmm. of when the, the locust hit on E-Day. You know, you're, you're the, the soldier trying to figure out what's going on. You're 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 being chased down by locusts. You're, you're killing some of them. Then alternate between just a kid, and then mm-hmm. the kid just has to you know stealth like navigate and get around all this madness that's happening around them. Like mm-hmm. I think that could be a very interesting take. You know, I think a Gears game that's just all the Onyx Guard, uh, the guys with the cool black armor, yeah, you know, who have all these high tech weapons that the, the the regular Cog soldiers were not allowed to have, like laser guns and night vision and heat vision and things like that. You know, I think that could be you know kind of like a uh, the the halo game about the the drop soldiers odst yeah odst you know kind of like do something like that there's so many things that they could do with it you know but you know i'm here i like money i like to eat prime rib (laughs) i'd be i i think like many other fans i i have like this i want a survival horror game i want a first person i want to play as the the onyx guard and and rainbow six style it i have all these ideas too and i'd love to see what what you guys could do and i want to double down on the idea like that's a call you would take if it came absolutely i've said it before in my my twitter mm-hmm. again so, not x 
not X. That's right. Um, I have so many notes that I want to want to touch on real quick. It was so cool. Um, I have a, this is a, a deeper question. Cliffy B, Cliff, Clifford, uh, would Cliffy B be proud of who you are now? Because there was a lot of demons that you fought internally. And to see who you are now, would he be proud of, of himself? I would hope so. More importantly, I would hope that my father would be proud of me. You know, that, That's very deep in your writing. You Fatherhood, it seems to be very intrinsic to who you are. Well, my dad, you know, he was a bit of a dick, but he was tough but fair, mm-hmm. right? And uh, he existed to, to please my mother, you know, because all my dad wanted was, you know, the pretty little blonde, right? Mm-hmm. And I realized that, like, oh, my God, I'm, like, you know, using the same behavior here, like, when I met and fell in love with Lauren, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. I'm, I'm, you know, it's the same thing with, like, caring about how my lawn looks or what my thermostat is at. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. oh, my God, I've become my dad. Um, but, you know, he was a, a workaholic, um, and uh, he, he, could be, he could be, you know, difficult, but the thing is, is uh, you know, I, I wish I could go back more importantly to myself in middle school and tell myself that it's going to get better, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I used that bullying as a screw you guys, I'm going to show you. And, you know, I didn't drink until I was 25, made up for it since. <laughs> and I didn't go to the, the house parties in high school and things like that. And there's that scene in the book, Control Freak, mm-hmm. where the cool kids are like sitting like, what's your story? What do you do? And I'm you like, make money. I make money. And that's uh, it reminds me of the scene from The Color of Money that inspired the name Doom for the game Doom, mm-hmm. where uh, I think it was uh, Tom Cruise or Paul uh, Newman shows up, mm-hmm. opens up his uh, suitcase, brings out his uh, his pool cues, and mm-hmm. he goes, "What's in there?" And he goes, "Doom." Right. So and, cool. and it's just like you know, sometimes you know, when you're able to look somebody in the eyes like that and just be like, "Here's how things are gonna go." Mm-hmm. and that's that's part of my problem side note in my relationship with my wife because she's from louisiana where it's like whoop de doo we'll get there and we get there and i'm like no if you're on time for the meeting mm-hmm. you're late you need to be there five minutes before mm-hmm. and then you know i tell people like it's it, it, my wife one time gleefully like pulled out a box of her old tardy slips from school like it was what? funny i was like that's not funny and it's not a flex. I, I earned this. I'm like, there's a reason you're in a 10,000 square foot house. Like, because mm-hmm. I showed up on time, mm-hmm. you know, during the Gears franchise. You know, I, I, I used to live in downtown Raleigh at the Paramount right there, mm-hmm. uh, right off Glenwood. Yep. And, you know, it was really easy to be out on a Tuesday night at the pub, you know, having a few pints and come like, you know, midnight or, or you know, one, I'd be like talking to my friends who are real party animals. I'd be like, I need to get back. I have a 10 a.m. meeting. I need to get a full night's sleep and I just show up right eyed and bushy tailed. Mm-hmm. Like, come on, man, hang out. I'm like, no, there's millions of dollars at stake here. Mm-hmm. Screw you guys. I'm going home. And I think that's an important life lesson. There's a huge movement uh, online with the younger generation uh, called anti work, mm-hmm. which I get and respect because you look at the amount of hours that people are forced to work for crappy wages, right? Mm-hmm. Totally get it. But at the, at the end of the day, um, you know, you got to get out of bed and do something, you know, like with your life. You, you know, the world's getting exponentially more expensive. And, you know, yes, the CEOs are getting more money. Yes, that's BS. But at the end of the day, you know, uh, just make something, and, you know, like make something that makes you feel happy. Th- that also hopefully makes you money. I got into the video game industry for three, three reasons. To make great video games, to be known for it, and to make money. Do you feel like mission accomplished on all three? Yes. And now I'm conquering other industries, hopefully. <laughs> Very much so. It seems like you are. Yeah. Um, 
you there you you tied together tangentially just as you were talking uh, a few moments ago when you mentioned uh game pass at one point subscription services and there is an there's an ign interview from gears threes tour and you said something in that interview because i i was digging so so bear with me but uh you said games are services and now that scares me and when we see game pass and uh the Epic Game Store giving out the free games, and we see PS Plus and the budgets that are involved. I wonder if you couldn't comment a bit more about subscription services, uh, just in my general. Pro- my problem these days is everything is a plus. Mm-hmm. This plus, this plus, this plus, this plus. I'm like, I'm not going to sign up for Peacock, and I mm-hmm. love Saturday Night Live, right? I'll mm-hmm. just watch the skits on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's one of those things they want to get the recurring monthly payment. And when it comes to people's finances, it becomes death by a thousand paper cuts. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, it's only $10 a month. It's only, you know, $15 a month. And then, we, then you know, you do the math, you're signed up to 16 services. Mm-hmm. And, and now it's not HBO. It's not HBO Max. Now it's Max. I'm like, who's making these decisions? Like mm-hmm. HBO is a household name. Like, okay, weird. And so that's the thing is I hit my threshold. I'm like, okay, I, I watch my, I, I, I stole my Xbox One in my movie room. Mm-hmm. Uh, Xbox One. Uh, Netflix, Amazon Prime Video, Shutter, and that's largely it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not gonna, you know, sign up. You know, uh, we, we actually steal the Disney Plus login from my sister in law, but shh, don't, don't I won't tell. tell. How, don't I'm tell not telling how. those lawyers. But the thing is, is there's just you know part of the problem with the world these days is there's just too much content, mm-hmm. you know. And so Netflix, you know, God bless them, you know, they have so much good content they put out. But what happens is, you know, people get just other good shows just get drowned and so netflix is like okay one or two seasons they look at the numbers in the background they're like oh it's not doing well enough (laughs) done Mm -hmm. then the fans start clamoring for it on on twitter you know and it's just it's it's just it's a it's a tough racket entertainment is a tough business Mm -hmm. so you know the thing about video games is you think it's funny the fact that i would rather put my money into restaurants in broadway which are notoriously uh, volatile like, markets, right? Incredibly volatile, unstable, as opposed to the video game industry, because like you never know what's going to hit in the video game industry. And mm-hmm. if I were to ever do a, a video game that's not Scrapper again, mm-hmm. it'd be just a, a fun little like you know two D side scroller platformer game, you know, because that speaks to me, you know. And I, I still love that people are still playing Jazz Jackrabbit to this day. That does it is cool. I was watching footage of that, and it, it is kind of neat to think. But I, I. I almost have a counterpoint for you, and I'm not sure if it is a counterpoint. And that's a game like Scrapper, in my mind, was a 2D platformer, and clearly not based on what you said. But I'm curious, does a subscription service give a game like that life? When it's either, it seems to me that there's indie, there's AAA, and games and services in that. And that's it. Does, does a subscription service, Game Pass or otherwise, give a game like potentially scrapper life or are you trying to steer away and i'm not trying to pin you in a corner i just don't know how yeah, to no, ask it's fine. i was talking to my boy demand um he works at a uh, squatch games right mm-hmm. uh great great dude one of my very best friends and he, i was complaining about free to play right mm-hmm. he's like look if i play the game for x hours and you know then i put 60 bucks into it total then mm-hmm. it's pretty much a wash at that point and i'm like okay that's a really good point but that's the thing is if people love the game or the service, they'll, they will happily sign up for it. You know, I always compared, like, you know, what I wanted to do with monetization with Lawbreakers to, you know, going to Disneyland or Disney World, right? Mm-hmm. Where you go there and, you know, yeah, you, there's an entry fee, but then you're happy to, you know, eat at the Bengal barbecue or, you know, buy a Dole Whip, 
and you know spend more money within the park right sure uh, or you know buy a mickey hat as opposed to las vegas which i absolutely freaking hate uh, my wife dragged me to TwitchCon a few months ago, and I, I still resent her for it. Uh, <laughs> well, the thing about these conferences is there's usually like one like major like hotel lobby bar where everyone just networks, and Vegas is so spread out like it's not even possible to do that. But mm-hmm. Vegas just feels like it's just you know these greedy casino owners just trying to reach in your pockets and just grab the money out of it. Whereas in Disney, you're you're voluntarily being like, oh, I'm having fun. Let's get a Dole Whip, right? Mm-hmm. And that's the thing about monetization. When people are happy with the service, they're happy to throw money at it. When they feel like they're being fleeced, they, they, they don't like it. People, mm-hmm. you know, some people are dumb, fine, whatever, but most people have that spidey sense where they can kind of sense, wait a minute here, you know. Mm-hmm. But then still, I was watching videos about people like breaking down the phenomenon of Salt Bay and how he's just fleecing the heck out of people. But people do it because of social media clout. Mm-hmm. Very, very different uh, arena there. Well, uh Cliff, I want to give you a chance before we exit here to let us know kind of one more time for anyone who's unfamiliar with what Scrapper is, please spotlight it. But also, what is it you're hoping to do with Scrapper in future? Just touch on those again. Yeah, so Scrapper is a story about a badass dog superhero. And the benefits also, by the way, of partnering with Image Comics with Robert Kirkman is you get to do crossovers with The Walking Dead. There's There's me shown right there. And so it's about uh, this dog superhero that was engineered to be a weapon of war in a mysterious uh, domed city. And uh, he realizes that, uh, you know, things aren't right. And then he partners up with his friend Tank after uh, losing his uh, adopted parents and then goes on patrol, you know, saves children from drug dealers and, uh, you know, essentially starts taking the steps towards taking down this totalitarian regime that uses Ed 209 style from RoboCop uh, bots in order to enforce uh, people's, you know, paying their rent and, and just, you know, there's debtor cages and uh, my version of Times Square where Scrapper frees them from everything. He's got a collar that has it's kind of like some Acme stuff or all sorts of a jetpack can come out. Lasers can come out on his eyes. Uh, his coat's made of nanotechnology. He's fireproof. He does paw core where he can, you know, jump and leap across uh, the area. He, he, he can, he can hulk out and turn into this kind of like, uh, you know, demon dog and uh he's just at the end of the day still a petulant teen uh who has to grow up and uh you know scrap um tanks gonna help him do that and through his hero- hero's journey he's gonna hopefully start an uprising in the city of uh, new verona and it's uh, issues one through six are out now and april uh, 23rd the hardback trade is coming out it's on amazon right now you can pre-order that if you want mm-hmm. and uh fingers crossed it becomes an animated series and hopefully something beyond that very cool. Do you get to examine timelines for when that stuff gets to happen, or is it just when it happens? Well, The Walking Dead took like 10 years to become a TV series, so <laughs> you never know with uh, the powers that be. But also, I'm going to do my stand-up comedy debut uh, on the 20th, uh, on the uh, uh, February 7th uh, at Charlie Goodnights in uh, downtown Raleigh. So if you want to come out and see me uh, bomb, just like Lawbreakers did, <laughs> see you. I sincerely doubt that happens, Cliff, given your penchant for entertaining. It's, but It's mostly going to be about butt stuff. <laughs> okay. Well, look, man, I uh, am so appreciative and honored that you took the time and that you were willing to cover so many uh, different topics. And I will say, uh, for anybody who's interested in, in in Cliff's journey, Control Freak is absolutely worth your time uh, as well. Cliffy B, Clifford, 
Cliff Blazinski, thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me, man. And shout out to the middle schoolers. Yes. If you're going through hell, keep going. <laughs>